want to talk about expectations for a moment. And the importance of expectations or rightly understood expectations, you might say. I don't know if you found in your marriage, but having two people with the same expectations is, is typically a good thing. When a husband or wife have different expectations for something and those things aren't communicated or, or understood, I don't know about your marriage, but I find that we have the most peace and harmony when that's the case. No, in reality, when you have expectations and you're not clear about them, uh, typically then you're not going in the same direction. Conflict ensues. Um, discord, like having the same expectations, having those be communicated, th- they benefit you. If you're part of a business, you're a business owner, and you have employees, you guys want to be on the same page. If you're part of a team, you want to be moving towards a, a similar goal. Expectations clearly communicated and embraced by two parties um, typically leads to greater success, peace, and harmony. Now, there's a, a situation that happened with a guy by the name of Eric Stagno. Most people here probably have not heard about him at all. But about a year and a half ago, when speaking about expectations, um, Eric Stagno had a certain expectation. He walked into his Planet Fitness gym where he had a membership. Planet Fitness, it's like, you know, 24-hour fitness, something like that. So he walks into his gym, goes through the front door, looks around, goes off to the side, takes off all of his clothing, grabs a yoga mat, puts it down, and starts doing some stretches. Now, when I say he took off all of his clothing, all of his clothing, all right? Now, the people there in the Planet Fitness were, needless to say, shocked. And they did what was probably right and good. They called the cops. So the cops show up, and they know what they're kind of walking into, and they're expecting this guy to be high or crazy or something along those lines. And they come over to him, and they're like, uh, you know, sir, you need to put your um, clothes back on. You can't be naked here. Um, you, have, you have to leave. In fact, he had indecent behavior, indecent exposure. So they said, we're going to have to arrest, arrest you. And, and he didn't fight the arrest, but he said, now, wait, wait a second. He said, let me explain myself. He said, you see these signs over here? And he pointed to one of the signs. And on the sign, it said, Planet Fitness. And it said, a judge-free zone. He said, I thought that I could come and work out, and there would be no, no judgment. It says it's a judge-free zone. And so, or judgment-free zone, so, so I went ahead and I did this. Needless to say, he was still arrested. But... The, the author of the article that talked about this said this, when Eric Stagno walked into a local Planet Fitness, he thought he knew what to expect. His expectations were wrong. And that's just a very extreme example of when having the wrong expectations could get somebody into trouble. Um, and as I thought about that and I thought about our church, I, I, I don't expect anybody to, to come here and do what he did, all right, on a Sunday morning. But but here's the truth about Valley Center Community Church. In a given month, we see about 400 different people that come and attend worship on Sunday morning. So 400 adults that are part of our, our, of our nuclear church family. We have three different services on a Sunday morning. And so when you think about 400 different people, three different services, not everybody even seeing each other every Sunday, it, it it's very obvious to the leadership of our church that when we look out at our congregation, there's a strong reality that we might all have different expectations. 
that we would answer the questions, what is the purpose of church? What is the purpose of the Christian life? What is the purpose of my life? That we might answer those questions differently. And that in having different expectations, we might not all be moving in the direction that God wants for us, and that that could ultimately cause not just simply simply problems, but but a lack of effectiveness in, in the world and ministry to one another. When in reality, that shouldn't be the case because God is pretty clear in his word about what we're supposed to be as a church, what the purpose of our life is, and what it means to be a Christian. And so in light of that, last week I started this series of messages called Vision 2020 and Beyond. And the whole purpose of this series of messages is to present God's plan for his people and our place in his plan. That's what we're talking about. We talked about last week. That's what we're talking about this week. What is, what is God's plan? What is his purpose for your life and in my life? And, and so what we're doing is we're going to the word of God and we're saying, Let's see what it has to say. And so if you were with us last week, we, we took a step back and we, and we looked at basically some of the foundational things that we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. We said, we got to be clear on God's purpose, on God's design, and what he has in store for us. And so we came to circle in on this one statement. This is where I want to jump off today. We said, when we look at the message of Christianity, most Christians, most people who read this book, would say that God sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to save humanity. Like if you were to ask the majority of Christians, like what's at the heart of of Christianity? It's this truth that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save humanity. And, And while that is a true and right statement, it still begs a question. And this was the big question we considered last week. Why? Why did God send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save it? Was that the end of the story? Did Jesus Christ come into our world simply because we were under the penalty of God's judgment and under the power of sin and that he came just to save us from that and just leave it at that? See, most people in answer to the question, why did Jesus Christ die for you? Why did God choose to save us? We would run to these answers. We would say, well, God sent Jesus Christ to save us from the penalty of sin. And if you said that, you'd be speaking truth. God did send his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from the penalty of sin. Some also might say, well, he came to save us from God's judgment, to save us from hell. And if you say that, you would also be speaking truth. Jesus Christ did come to save us from the punishment for our sins, which means eternal separation from God in hell. You might also say, and this would be true, that God saves us to make us part of his family. And that would be true as well. God does save us so that we can become part of his family. And you might also say that God saves us because he loves us. And that too would be true. All of those things are true. Jesus Christ was sent by God to save humanity from the penalty and the power of sin and to make us part of his family. But if you stop there, then you have failed to see the fullness of the plan of God for your life in my life. In fact, you can only really understand why Jesus Christ comes to save you from the penalty and power of sin 
if you understand first that you were made from the beginning, all humans were made to glorify God, to exist to make much of Him. That is the purpose for which we were created. And when you understand that purpose, then what you begin to see is this. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save us from the penalty and power of sin for a very specific reason. You're made part of His family. You are spared hell. You are freed from the power of sin for a very specific purpose. And we find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look with me at these verses once again. Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was, what? Raised. Paul is proclaiming, and the rest of the New Testament speaks to this, the work of Jesus Christ, the end for which he saves you, forgives your sins, makes you part of his family, is so that now you can once again live for him, to make much of him. And then Paul comes and he hits the nail on the head in verse 17, a passage that you and I know, a passage that you and I have heard before. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has gone. Behold, all things have become new. Paul is basically summarizing and quoting Genesis chapter 1, the end for which you were made, to glorify God. You have now become a new creation. You were once not God's people, but now you are God's people so that, as Peter says, you and I may proclaim the glories of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. See, this is the fullness of the Christian story. Often we make the gospel and the message of Christianity about us, what God does for us, and we leave it at that. We say, you no longer have guilt, you no longer have shame, you are forgiven, you're made new, but to what end? Paul says clearly, so that you, as an image bearer of God, can do what you are made to do, to live for him. And so if I were to recap all that we talked about last week, I would say this. We were made by God to live for him, and Jesus makes that possible once again. Paul would say to the Ephesians, you're basically the walking dead until Christ makes you alive. And once you have that life, it's not, great, I can go and do whatever I want. Grace abounds to me. It's grace abounds to you so that you can live for the purpose for which you were created. I mean, this is what we believe is ultimately the message of the gospel. Everyone who repents and believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, are saved from judgment, brought into God's family, and enabled now to live for God in the world. So simple, and yet so profound. It's about Him. It's about His glory. It's about making much of Him. And Jesus Christ comes and says, I make you what you once were. I enable you now to live for for Him. So here's where I just stop for a brief moment. And I'm going to speak to my church family for a moment and just ask the question. Do you believe what I'm saying? Do you believe this is what the Bible proclaims? Secondly, have you accepted this as the real message of God's word? That there is a God 
who is majestic and worthy of all worship, who would stoop down low to save and to worship you through his son, Jesus Christ. And that when you believe in him, your sins are forgiven. You are made new. And now you are to live for him. Do you believe that? Is your life aligned with that? Because now we come and we're getting to the expectation part. See, here's what we believe at Valley Center Community Church. Our mission, why we exist, if all this is true, and it is, if all this is true, our mission as a church is very simple. We exist. Remember, whenever I say church, you say people, right? Like, don't, don't, think, don't think just like this building or just Valley Center Community Church, this corporation, that's not what we're about. When I say church, we're talking about the people of God. So we exist to glorify God by being and making disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. By being and making disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should want to be disciples, followers of Jesus, someone wholly devoted to him, because it's only through Jesus that you can have the life that you were created to have to make much of God. So that's why we say we exist to, to be disciples, because I want to follow Jesus. I want to walk in the, in the path of the one who follows and worships the Father perfectly. The second part of that is we should desire to make disciples, because the people outside these walls, and even some in here, our friends, our family, and our neighbors, they have been created to make much of God, and they are missing out on the life they were created to have. And God is not receiving the glory that he is due until their lives are transformed by Jesus. So we exist to be and make disciples. So our vision as a church is really simple. For this year, and I believe for every year that follows, it's to see the lives of the people of Valley Center and beyond transformed through, and transformed into disciples of Jesus Christ through the ministry, the work of the people of this church. This is what we're supposed to be about. You and I have friends, we have neighbors, we have family members who, who have not yet had their lives transformed into being a follower of Jesus Christ. Our vision is that that would not stay that way. Because you have people that only you can touch. I have people that only I can touch. And God has given us this, this mission. So, we, so you're clear on that. Like this is, this is the drum that we're going to beat because we believe this is what God has called us to. But then it leads us to something that I'm going to spend the rest of the time talking on. Now, I didn't prep the other hours for this. And there are some people right now from the first and second hour who are having nervous twitches because the, the last point of the message we're not going to get to today, all right? So you can just cross that out right now, okay? I'm only going to cover the, the first point. So, so the second point, like some of you who are OCD, you're going to be like, but he didn't answer it. What's going to happen? You're going to get it next week, okay? We're just going to focus on this point. I just need to say that because I know some people are, came up to me and I'm like, next week. So here's the deal. We can know that this is our mission. We can know that this is the vision, but what does it look like? What does it look like for you and I to be and make disciples? Like, on the practical level, what is it that God calls it to? Fortunately for us, we don't have to guess at it. Fortunately, this category of being and making disciples, what does it look like in application? God's word is pretty clear. And the first place that we're going to go to find our answer to that is Acts chapter 2. So turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And I love going to the book of Acts to start because the book of Acts is the record of the first followers of Jesus Christ the first people who received the commission to go and make disciples, and it's a record of what they did, and then how the people who they went with the message of Jesus Christ to responded in what they did in response to the gospel. 
So Peter and the rest of the disciples, they receive the commission from Jesus. They go into the city of Jerusalem. They proclaim who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And here's the response. Are you ready? Verse 42. And they, that is those who heard the gospel of Jesus, responded to the message, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, just stop there. Do you know what we're talking about with the breaking of bread? It wasn't just that they were sharing a meal together. They were sharing this meal together, the Lord's Supper. When you read breaking of bread, that's what it's referring to. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. Don't have time to go into that. That's going to be a future message here. But verse 46 is where we're going to come. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is a priceless part of God's word. Because it shows us what the very first believers of Jesus understood their response to the gospel should look like. And one of the first things that becomes abundantly clear is that these people who were touched by the gospel, as a manifestation of being a follower of Jesus Christ, they gathered together. And they did it regularly, and they did it consistently. In fact, the text says in verse 46, they did it. Every day. Every day. Here's a remarkable thing. Did you know that the early church, their pattern was to gather for worship with others in the church every day? We see that demonstrated not just in the New Testament, but in throughout church history. It wasn't just that we come together one day a week. The expectation was that they were gathering regularly virtually every day. And it shouldn't surprise us that they did this. Here's why. Because in the Old Testament, when God called the Israelite community to be his people, you remember that story? They come up and out of Egypt and they're led by Moses. And he's like, I will be your God and you will be my people. He comes to them and he gives to them his commandments. And one of his commandments was, you're to set aside the Sabbath day as a day where you as the community of faith come to worship me. And so the Sabbath day was set aside. But then God comes to the people of the Old Testament, and he doesn't just set aside the Sabbath day. Throughout the Jewish calendar year, God establishes different feasts where the people of God would drop all that they were doing, and they would go first to the tabernacle and then eventually to the temple to come and what? Worship him corporately, collectively, as a community. This was the pattern of the Old Testament. And so what happens in the New Testament is this. The gospel first came to the Jews. That's who was saved here predominantly in the book of Acts. That's who we see being saved. Now, these people, they knew the commands of God, and they knew it clearly. And one of the things that you find is this. When those people got saved who knew the commands of God, they didn't come away and say, oh, geez, okay. So I'm saved by grace. It's all of grace. God loves me. What's the minimum I can do here to obey the commands of God? That's not the pattern. In fact, they so interpret this grace that has come to them 
that frees them now to live no longer for themselves but for him, that the way that they live that out first and foremost is that they gather literally every day at some point to worship God. It's remarkable. And and so when we see this pattern, we also come to passages like Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at this passage in your your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse uh, 23. The author of Hebrews writes, "Uh, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the author of Hebrews says, Listen, as the people of God, one of the expressions of being a follower of Christ is that you gather for worship. And so here's what we have very simply. What does it mean to be and make disciples? Well, one of our first core points is this. We gather for corporate worship. You want to know what it looks like to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, what's necessary then to even make disciples? We gather for corporate worship. And I want to be really clear that we picked our words carefully when we tried to summarize what the scriptures say here. We say that we gather for corporate worship because first and foremost, corporate worship implies this right now. It implies a very specific setting in which the church comes together. All of your life is supposed to be worship. All of my life is to be worship. But God clearly indicates here that there is something unique that's supposed to happen, that we are to gather together together for this type of worship. And secondly, we don't say that we come to church on Sundays. We say that we gather for corporate worship rather than we come to church on Sundays because guess what? We don't go to church. We are the church. The church isn't a building. The church is this. It's you and me. We are the body of Christ, individually members of it. So we see ourselves not as a building. We see ourselves as a body who comes together, and one of our functions in coming together is to worship. And and when we think about this in really practical terms, what I'm about to say, I believe there's really clear warrant to say. When we say that we gather for corporate worship, the expectation in the Word of God is that we gather weekly together unless sickness or the unexpected happens. That God's expectation, just so that we're all clear, when we say that we gather for worship, it, it's not that we gather once a month or, or, or that we gather you know, once every few months. It's, it's that we gather weekly. And you know why I say that? You've got to follow this bouncing ball. Are you ready? In Acts, we see the first believers gathering how often? Daily. When you come to the New Testament letters and the epistles, We see Paul even writing and saying, when you come together as a church, here's what you're supposed to to do. There is the assumption by the New Testament authors that the people of God are meeting so consistently that they don't have to say you need to do it at minimum weekly. In fact, the author of Hebrews says, let us not give up meeting together as is the habit of some. What's his context? How often does the author of Hebrews know that the church is regularly gathering? Daily. 
And so some people say, well, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says that we have to meet once a week. You're right. The expectation in the Bible is that you're meeting even more frequently than that. This idea of even coming just once a week isn't a, isn't a bad thing, but that's an, a, at a minimum of what God wants for his people as an expression. And so we come to this and we say, this is important to being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Because Hebrews also says that this is like my favorite part of the message. Are you ready for this? We're, we're getting, getting to like my, I mean, all of this is great. Don't, I, mean, I like the first part too, but, but right here is where we come to some stuff I really love. When we gather together, we're being obedient to the commands of God. We're actually functioning as God designed us. For instance, in Hebrews, it says, our gathering together is for the purpose of, did you see this? Encouraging one another on to what? Loving good deeds. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we're encouraged to gather to encourage one another to to loving good deeds. You and I can't fulfill this command to encourage one another unless we're doing what? Gathering together. And so God's like, here, let me give you a freebie. Get together. And when you get together, you encourage one another in the faith. You build one another up. He also says here that when we gather together, what we're doing is we're sitting under the teaching of the word. We're supposed to hear and receive the word through, through those that God has appointed to instruct us. And so when we gather for the corporate worship, that's one of the functions. And then there's this. I say every couple of weeks, I come across a verse, and I like to say to you, did you know this verse was in the Bible? Like, here's another one. This one is so crazy. I, I had a buddy I, I mentioned uh, when we were in Bible college together. Um, he had whiteout one day. And I was like, why do you have the whiteout? And he says, well, I use it for those parts of the Bible that I don't like. And I was like, now he said it tongue-in-cheek, right? Although, anyways. Um, but, but there are some parts of the Bible that we just kind of read over, and we're like, yeah, yeah, that, that's in there, that's in there, but that's okay. Check this verse out. I love this verse. I just, that it's in the Bible. Listen, some of you are going to hear what I'm about to say, and your hearts are going to be like, well, fine. I don't know. I still don't feel good about it. Others of you are going to be like, oh, yes. And then some of you are going to be indifferent. But here it is, Colossians 3.16. Not John 3.16, Colossians 3.16. Ready for this? Here it is. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's good. And by the way, that's not a suggestion. That's a command. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So that's what we're supposed to do. Check out the next part. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. We are to sing to each other as part of worship. And this cannot be done in you being off by yourself. We can only fulfill this when we gather corporately. To sing to one another about who our God is, is not a suggestion in the Bible. It is a calling upon the people of God. It does not say that this only pertains to those with the prettiest voices or those who are classically trained. This verse says that if you are to live out making much of God, you would utilize your time to gather with others to sing and to proclaim your God 
so that those around you would be encouraged and admonished and taught. This verse turns the modern American evangelical church thoughts on worship on its head because somewhere, somewhere we got into our minds that the purpose of coming to worship was to be blessed by the experience that that's why I come to church. That is not the case. We gather on Sunday mornings, this isn't my opinion, this is the word of God, to make much of God first, second, that through your singing and your participation in the worship experience to encourage the person sitting next to you, and then third, way down below, you receive the blessing. And yet, the consumeristic mindset that we have is, I need to be entertained, I need to be moved by the music, and you're not going to find that anywhere in the Bible. Instead, it says that he died so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and what? Rose. And so what Paul is saying here is right in line with that. God wants you to sing. He wants you as part of worship, even if your voice isn't great, to communicate by your engagement in the songs, the truths of who he is, making much of him, and blessing those around you. Because you're, like, if I could have my druthers, we'd go all Quaker up in here. What I mean by that is, you know how, they, how their worship, how it functions, what a, what a Quaker meeting house looks like? Their theology isn't great, but I'm saying, they do it in the round. Like, they face one another. See, you guys are all looking at me. And, and, and you're looking at the people up here. Do you know why we have people up here leading us in worship? It's not just so that they can show off their talents. It's so that you can see people praising God and they can see you praising God and it's going this way and up. This isn't a performance. It's about us fulfilling what God has called us to here. That's why I say, say if, we could, if we could have it, we'd, we'd all be looking at one another while we're singing because worship isn't first and foremost about you. You're third on the list. It's about coming to this place to make much of God. Second, to bless the people sitting next to you because you're saying how great is our God. That's why we sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I need to hear that. You need to hear that. And then way down on the list, it's to say, oh, now what did did I experience in this? That's been flipped on its head. That's often not how we think about it. Church family, we gather for corporate worship. And, and as we do that, here's what happens. Number one, your heart and my heart are reminded God is first and foremost. Because I'm giving up time in my week and saying, oh, no, no, no. I'm not giving up time in my week. I'm giving back to God what he is owed to begin with. Secondly, what's happening is my heart is being reminded that the people in the church are important. They're important because God has charged me and he's charged you with singing and making melodies and gathering together so that they're encouraged. Your primary concern when you gather to worship, you're going to hear me say this over and over again, your primary concern is not what did I get out of this, but did I praise God 
as he deserves to be praised, and did I encourage those around me? I don't, I don't want you to answer this out loud, but when was the last time you came to worship, your focus in coming was those two things? You said, I'm gathering here because my God deserves to hear from my lips that he's worthy of praise. And number two, I have the opportunity to encourage the person that surrounds me. Biblically speaking, this is what God calls us to. And so here's where our vision comes in. You can see it in your notes. One of our vision points for 2020 and beyond is this. Are you ready? It's pretty simple. To have 100% of the church members attending every week. This is what we believe is God's calling for, for us. I'm not being legalistic here. I'm just telling you what God's word already says. God's word says, if you are part of my family, what my family does is gathers to worship and make much of me and encourage one another in doing so. And so our vision is this. We want what God wants. What God wants is to see his people 100% engaged in this and engaged in it on a weekly basis. I understand if sickness comes, we don't want you here coughing on your neighbor and getting them sick and then they can't come next week, right? Like, those things happen, but here's God's expectation. I told you when we started, expectations were important. You see, because maybe some of you, this is the first time that you actually heard that idea that, oh, that's what Sunday's about according to the word of God because I thought it was about this. But when we have this as our expectation, here's, here's what happens. When we're living according to God's design, it is there that we find the joy, the peace, and the life that he has for us from the beginning. And I want that so desperately for you. I want that for my own family. And when I, when I communicate this vision, I take a step back, and, and I, along with the other church leadership, we said, well, how are we doing as a church in this? Do, do, you, do we think that our church has really embraced this, or do we have room for growth? And so here's what we did. We, we looked back on the last 12 months, and we said, for those who are members of the church, so out of like the 400 who kind of regularly come to the church, out of those who are members of the church, and that's, that's, that's a smaller group than the 400, those who have gone through the membership process, how's that group embracing this? And so here's a statistic that we found. We found that 47% of church members in our church attend worship less than two times a month. Two times a month or less. That's the, that's the average. And this doesn't surprise me. I've been in ministry here at this church almost 20 years. 17 years on staff, attending for about 20. And I've seen this trend happen over the length of my time here. In Christianity, there's been this overall trend where we've lost sight of what being and making disciples looks like and how significant gathering with the saints is for our spiritual growth and application of what Christ has done for us. So you know me. I'm kind of a cup, the cup is, is half full sort of a guy. And so I say, there's opportunities for growth here. I can't imagine what Valley Center Community Church is going to look like a year from now if we really embrace that he died so that we would no longer live for ourselves but for him. If we, if we see ourselves growing in this and gathering more regularly, the benefit that God says is that we're going to see a church that's even more in love with Jesus a year from now than, than is today. And we're going to see a church that's more in love with one another than it is even today. Because we'll be living in the design that God has for us. And man, when you live in God's design, you only come to know the joy and peace that, that he provides. So, so I'm excited about this. Like, we're going to come back to this time and again because we believe 
this is God's design for us. If we're going to be and make disciples, then we gather for corporate worship as one expression of, of that. So my question for you today, the question for my own heart and mind is, is this how I understand what God's word calls me to? Is this how I understand what it means to no longer live for myself but for him? Is this being expressed in my life? And if it's not, oh, then, then Jesus, help me, help me see how you being Lord and Savior would move me to manifest being a disciple in, in this way. And I can't wait to see what we're going to look like as a church even a year from now as we walk in these truths according to God's expectations and God's design and ultimately God's enabling. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, some of these things are, are hard things, yet nonetheless they're, they're good things because, Lord, this is, this is you coming and speaking to us and saying this is what I want for, for you, this is what I have made you ultimately to be, and here's how it's expressed. And so, Lord, help us to receive the word that you have in the way that you intend, and that we would, by your Spirit's power, walk in it. And that, Father, we'd ultimately be serious about, Lord, the things that you are serious about, so that we might bear your image as you have saved us to. So we pray now. We ask these things in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen.